<clears throat> you know, you are an amazing bunch of people, I'll tell you. I mean, every church has got idiots in it, I understand that. <laughs> I learned years ago, wherever you got light, you got bugs. But I won't tell you, as a church, taking this guy in and loving him and all that you've done and picking him up for church every Sunday and just spending time with him. And you guys, are, you do that for so many people in so many ways. And I, I, just, I just thank you for that, and I, and I love you. It's what makes, uh, makes this church what it is, and I, I appreciate that. I really do. Now, you remember the last time we were together, uh, we uh, began our study of the book of Proverbs. And after, uh, uh, we did that after a week of, of going through a couple of weeks of, of a solid introduction of things about the book of uh, Proverbs that you need to remember. I wanted to lay a good solid foundation for you. Because when we get into this book, we're going to, we want to build on some things. The last time I gave you probably the most important ingredient uh, of this great book was the biblical outline or the breakdown. Remember I told you that every book of the Bible has a breakdown or an outline associated with it. When you learn that outline and you learn that breakdown, it makes the books of the Bible a lot easier. A lot of people many, many times, they've said to me, you know, I can't understand the Bible. I try to read it. I try to get into it. And, and I guarantee you it's because you're not following the outline that God put in there that really makes the books a lot easier. And I gave them to you. Chapter 1 through chapter 7. You're going to find that all of those chapters either deal with the heading of my son or children. Uh, and I told you that historically it's Solomon's son. Doctrinally it's Israel as God's son. And inspirationally it's you and me as God's son. Then we got on the second section, chapter 8 through chapter 30. And uh, if I remember right, there's, I think there's 630 Proverbs in that section, all on the issues of life, telling you and me uh, how to make good choices, showing us the, the, the problems that we'll get into. And then we got into the third section was chapter 31, and that's the finished product, the virtuous woman. The goal of every Christian should be chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs, the final phase of our Christian growth. Then we talked about uh, and defined the main theme of the book of Proverbs. And the main theme of Proverbs is about a wise man and a foolish man. And I told you that in every aspect of your life, you will have to deal with these two elements. Uh, by the Bible's defining these two aspects, wise man and a foolish man, I also told you that now you and I have the ability to, uh, to be wiser than uh, our enemies, as the Bible says to be smarter than the problem that you hear me talk about so many times, to rise above the circumstances in life. Uh, the Bible talks about that when you get the wisdom of God, you have more understanding than all your teachers. I gave you, if you remember, nine principles of what a wise man is according to the book of Proverbs. I, I told you that a wise man will win souls. I told you a wise man will inherit glory. I told you a wise man receives commandments. A wise man hearkens to counsel. A wise man guards his tongue. And a wise man seeks knowledge. A wise man not only seeks knowledge, but he disperses knowledge. And the Bible says a wise man fears and departs from evil. And then it says that a wise man will hear and he will listen. We talked about the influence of people and circumstances in our lives uh, that we have to deal with every day. And how the book of Proverbs shows us how to live above the circumstances of life. We talk about the victorious Christian life. 
Many Christians ask the question, how do you ever get to that point? Or how do you maintain the victorious uh, Christian life and, and the victory as a Christian? And the answer is simple uh, by the Word of God in the book of Proverbs and the principles that we find. Remember, I told you to make a list, a private list, of course, not one that you'll want to pass around or show anybody. But I told you to make a private list for yourself personally of people who you see these nine character qualities in. Keeping in mind, nobody's perfect. You're never going to find anybody on planet Earth who's sinless and perfect and doesn't have some issues in their life. But you are going to find people who, even though they're human and even though they make mistakes, they work every day at being everything that God wants them to be. And you find those people and, uh, who have these character qualities, then you make these people your role models if you're a young Christian. Make them your friends if you're an older Christian and then you, you, you work with them and, and help them, let them, allow them to make you better. You remember I ended the last time we were together by giving you one of the simplest verses in all the Bible that simply really says everything that I'm going to be talking about throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, and uh, it makes the whole study very easy to grasp, and it was Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. It says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And this is where we're going to pick it up today. This is where we're going to start today. And uh, we're going to move on from here. And, uh, you know, I deal with people all the time. Uh, my week is filled with it, either by people coming over, or the phone calls that I get, or all of the things that uh, uh, people come and talk to me about. And I'm, I'm basically asked, when people come in with issues in life, I'm basically asked six or seven uh, questions most of the time. And the question that I'm most asked when people come in is somebody will tell me their problems and lay it all out, and they'll simply ask you, why is my life such a mess? Many times they'll ask me, you know what, how come I can't get ahead in anything I'm trying to do? Sometimes they'll ask me, why am I so miserable and so depressed with everything in life? They'll ask me, why am I so unhappy? They'll ask me, why don't I feel what other Christians feel? I get that a lot. They look at some of you who, <coughs> who or, <coughs> you know, really have it pretty much together, and uh, they look at you, and they, they want that. And they say to themselves, why can't, I, why, can't I, why can't I be like that? Why can't I feel what other Christians feel and do what they do? Why can't I get anything out of the Bible? Oh, I hear that one all the time. And many times, because it goes on for many, many, many years, you find these same problems coming back into, into the families. Uh, now you see the same issues with their children uh, as they get older. And the cycle just keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on going. Now the answer to every one of these questions is really very simple. If I've come to any conclusions of life, uh, being 63 years old and and living through some experiences about uh, life, if I've learned anything at all, uh, I have learned that life is not very complicated. Life is very simple. I totally understand why when God started it all in Genesis, that he put it in a very simple farm-like country setting where there was not a lot of complicated things to do. The first city in the Bible was not built by God. The first city in the Bible was built by a murderer. And along with that city came all the complexity of life. It's, it's no secret to anybody that farm people who, who, who love that lifestyle and like it out there on a farm, <clears throat> their life is much more simpler than, than ours is. 
You know, I, you look back in the 1800s and you wonder why uh, families were closer together back then and why, why people had greater character qualities about themselves by then. It's because that they didn't have all the complicated things that we have. They didn't have smartphones and computers. When they sat down to eat, the family was together. They worked together on the farm. They did everything together. And it, it, it's a whole different mindset than, than where we're at today. And, you know, life is not complicated. Life is pretty simple. Uh, and, not, and, and truly, the answer to every one of these questions is just as simple. You just simply look around you and see who you're hanging out with, see who you're spending time with, see who you're taking counsel from. You know, as, as the last part of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. The reason why many people's lives are in a mess, reason why they can't get ahead, reason why they're so miserable when they go through the times of depression and so unhappy, the reason why they envy what other Christians have and they seem like they can't get anything out of the Bible because simply they have entered into that final phase of being destroyed. They have hung out with people who have tainted their ideas. They have allowed themselves to be in circumstances that were non-edifying to them. They hang out with people who are totally negative. They hang out with people who do nothing for God. They hang out with foolish people who every other word out of their mouth tears something down instead of building something up. And because they've allowed that in their life, they're in the final phase of their life of being destroyed. Their life being destroyed not only physically, but, uh, uh, but spiritually. And in time, you pass that right on to your children. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 is a great verse that that, boy, bears out a lot of exploring in all of our lives as we think about it. And that great verse, in fact, he says this phrase four or five times through the Old Testament about God visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. That clearly tells me that the process of you and I being a fool, we simply pass that on to our children. When we take a stand against God and God's principles, when we decide we're going to do it our way instead of God's way, when we decide we're going to put people in our lives who are negative, who are against the things of God, oh, they probably go to church all the time. But everything out of their mouth is negative. They do nothing for God. They do nothing for anybody with God. And all they focus on and all they want to do is to be negative. When you allow yourself in that kind of scenario in time, uh, not only are you going to become like that. Remember I showed you the process out of Psalms 1 that week ago? But you're going to pass that on to your children. And God will visit that iniquity to the third and fourth generation. That's an incredible, incredible verse. A wise man doesn't have those issues. Now, a wise man has issues. We all got issues. But we don't have those issues. A wise man, for the most part, he's happy. He's content. He's fulfilled. He's satisfied. You know, a fool's life will be just one unfolding disaster after another. But a wise man, he, 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 he's happy. He's content. He has all the things that a fool can never get to in life, but always wants to get to in his life. And when you make your list, look around you. Look around you at the people you work with. Look around with the people in your family. Look around to the people in his church. Look around and see those who are complete and fulfilled. And then look at the ones who struggle and are miserable and unhappy. They're unhappy in life now, 
they're unhappy in their marriage later, and in time they wind up being unhappy about everything. I want to tell you something. If you don't get anything out of my sermon other than this next principle, and yet there's a lot of good principles here today, I I want to give you this. When you look at people who do what God wants them to do, wise men, when you peel back the layers of their life, you're going to see two fundamental things. I told you, life is not complicated and life is not hard. When you peel back the layers, you see two things. One, you see the ministry that they are in, and then you see the people that they associate with. It's just that simple. Those of you who went down to uh, go down to restart with us, or those who, who work in turnaround, or even yesterday with the group that went down there to Children's Mercy, you can have the worst day of your life. You can have every problem in the world, and you can have people pulling on you in a negative way. And you go down there and spend a little time with those folks who really have some issues. And then get a text or an email back from somebody knowing that you touched them. I don't know in life what problems in life can, can, can compare to that. And when you look at people who do what's right and people who are wise when it comes to the Word of God, um, you, see, you see the ministry they're involved in and the people they associate with. Now, you know, I'm telling you, we could fix any issue in your life by just changing those two areas right there. If you'll just take those two areas and work on them in your life and eliminate those two things and put those two things in your life and eliminate the negative, you're on the path to solving every problem you have. In our prayer groups, we build them around the great principle in Proverbs 28:17, iron sharpeneth iron. And I told you, it does. Nothing will give you the completeness you're looking for in the fulfillment of your life like the wisdom of God. And what helps that and sharpens that is putting yourself with other people who are like-minded toward the things of God. It makes you better. It makes you stronger. It makes you sharper. In the Bible, it's called edification. It edifies you into everything that you do. Now, last time I defined for you a wise man, and I gave you nine principles. Today, I'm going to give you the eight principles of a fool. And uh, I told you that the book of Proverbs is about comparison. This is why I told you to make a list of the wise men. And yes, I'm going to encourage you to make a a list of fools today. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 33 says, Wisdom resteth in the heart that hath understanding. But that which is in the midst of fools is known. You know a fool by what he does or what she does. If you have any inkling about the Bible at all, and you're saved, and you have any mindset at all about the things of God, you don't have to label somebody to be a fool. That person, according to Proverbs, will label themselves. You just have to look for some things. So now today, you'll want to make you another list. You want to make the list of fools you see in their world around you. Uh, Then you'll make the decision, I hope, to stay away from them. And uh, you go from there. Another thing I've learned about uh, life is the fact that uh, life is about choices. We like to blame our problems on everybody else. That's just human nature. We don't want to take accountability for our own issues. And it's easier, it's just easier to blame everything that we go up against on somebody else. And yet I'm going to tell you that for the most part, because I understand that there are certain things that come into your life that 
you, uh, you don't have any control over. But that's the majority of it we do. And the majority of the things that we do in life, we make choices on, determine the outcome of where we go and how it favors us or doesn't favor us in life. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where uh, you, you, you want to you get it down and understand it. I, I told you August 28th, that Wednesday, where I'm going down to turnaround. I think turnaround is probably going to turn out for us to be one of the greatest things that God ever gave us. Uh, it's, it's a thing where if you just look at it from the outside, you know, it doesn't look like it. But once you see it from the inside and you see where they're at and what they're trying to do and how they look at us and how that the doors are swinging wide open, uh, I think that uh, we just play our cards right and, and be patient. Uh, this thing is going to develop into something uh, that is, is going to be a, a major thing. And I think the thing at Children's Mercy is going to go the same way. I really do. And that's why I want some of you, to, as many of you can, to go down with me down the 28th because I want you to, I want to start having you see that. And I'm going to talk to them to that day about making choices. And, uh, and I, I want to show you how that, that thing works and try to help that. But uh, uh, I want to talk today about eight principles that make a fool. And life is about choices. And uh, I know a lot of people, they want to help people that are foolish people. And that's a good motive. Uh, And I I hear that a lot. And you say, well, I know I've got foolish people that I I keep in my life and people who don't do right and people this and do that. And I want to help them. And that's a good motive. And I, I appreciate that. I really do. And I hear that a lot. But when you see these eight areas, hopefully now you'll understand also a great truth that you really can't help them. You cannot. And when you start to deal with people, you have to have wisdom in dealing with people. And you realize that when you see these eight areas I'm going to talk about, you can't help a fool till that fool decides to help himself. You just can't. One of the principles I give you in dealing with people is never never want somebody to do right more than they do. Because when you do, you become vulnerable. And you'll wind up getting used in it. Now, I also need to explain this. When we talk about fools this morning, they come in two flavors. They come in two categories. You have unsaved fools, and you have saved people who are fools. The Bible says in Psalms 14, 1, uh, we're talking about an unsaved fool. It says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Now, that's an unsaved fool. But saved people can also be fools. And as far as I'm concerned, dealing in this business for over 40 years, as far as I am concerned, uh, as far as you ought to be concerned and your Christian life is concerned, saved fools are much more dangerous than unsaved fools. You know, there's not a lot of difference between an unsaved man and a saved man. A saved man can do almost everything an unsaved person can do except one thing. They can't go to hell. But you're going to find saved people who get into the same exact things. They have the same exact negative mindset. They get into the same sins. They do the same kind of stuff. They get into some of the most ungodless stuff you ever saw in your life, and they're saved. But they're fools. And like I said, as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, saved fools are much more dangerous. man asked me one time years ago, and I thought about this as I was home in Ohio, I always like to drive around my old neighborhood. I lived on the other side of the tracks back then, southwest part of Canton. 
and the steel mills were right down there. Timken Roller Bearing was there and uh, Republic Steel. And back then, there was, a, there's a, there was a bar on every corner. I ain't kidding There was a bar on every corner. It was Millie's Bar or Charlie's Bar, and it was a bar on every corner. And I remember uh, when I got first got saved and uh, I was out witnessing to somebody or talking to somebody, a guy asked me, he says, well, and he was kind of a Pharisee guy, and he was, uh, he was in a kind of a liberal church. And he said, he asked me the question. He said, would you rather, would you rather in your neighborhood, would you rather have a bar or would you rather have a liberal church? And I remember telling him, without even thinking, I'd rather have the bar. And he was kind of shocked at that, you know, and tanking back at that. I mean, he thought maybe I was for bars, and I'm not for bars, and I'm against bars, and I really am. But my, my point is this. I know what goes on in a bar. Okay? And liberal churches, liberal churches can deceive you. I mean, you know what happens in a bar, but you go into a church that doesn't teach the Bible. <clears throat> you may think you're getting God. You may think you're getting the Word of God, and you'll wind up in hell. Well, foolish Christians can fool and deceive you too. I think they're much more dangerous. I mean, you know what you get from the world, see? No question about it. But a foolish Christian can and will hurt you. And you will get deceived, especially young Christians. I mean, they'll draw you in. They, they come to church. Uh, shoot, I've known some of the foolish Christians I ever saw in my life been in church all their life. And, 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 and people look to them and they think because they've been in church or because they're a deacon or because they're even a pastor or they're this, that that must be some guarantee that they're not a fool. That's not true. That's not true. I, I've seen some of you people that I would never say, excuse me, I wouldn't, excuse me. Oh, oh. I thought, I've seen some of you people hook up with somebody else in this church that I, I got to tell you, when I, and I knew you were young, fresh, had all the potential, but I saw that hookup, and I want to tell you, I cringed. I never said anything, never would. I would never say anything to anybody because, you know what, I, you just don't do that. But inside, I sure was praying. And I was cringing because I knew that you had gotten side by side with somebody who was not in your young Christian life going to edify you. They were going to hurt you. In time, they're going to start dragging out all the dirt, all the trash. They were going to start talking about all the people they didn't like. And you cannot, as a young Christian, get bombarded with that every time you go and not have it affect you. They always have a hidden agenda. But it always is negative. So, I'm going to give you eight concepts of a fool. And you make your list. Uh, you can't help but, just like I did a wise man, I, I can't preach, I can't, I preached the Westies on a wise man. There was people that I thought were wise people going through my brain. You cannot listen to these nine things before, these eight today, and you know, we all know people where you work with them, you have them in your world, you're all around you. You just can't help putting a face to some of these principles. Now, that's a good thing as long as you keep it to yourself. You don't want to show your list to somebody else. <laughs> now, you're all going to want to see my list to see if you're on it. I don't have a list. Now, 
we'll see the principles on a fool today. He's found throughout the book of Proverbs. And he set in contrast, these eight in contrast to the nine I gave you before, to the wise man. So, you want to make your list. Let's pray. Father, help us today to come through this book and uh, learn the great principles uh, on uh, what a fool is. And Lord, uh, we learned already what a wise man is, and we all know now that life is choices. And the Bible told us very clearly that if we hang out with wise people, we'll be wise, but if we hang out with fools, we'll be destroyed. It doesn't get any simpler than that, and so help these good people today who I know love you and I love the Word. Help them to get it all set. Help me to preach it clearly. Help me always to be there to help anybody that wants to do what's right. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, the first one we're going to go to is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, the first thing we're going to look at is a fool despises wisdom and instruction. And uh, a fool has a literal hatred, a despising of anything that deals with God or, or to do right. And they do this not only by what they say, but they do it by their action and their attitude. And you're going to see that many times they claim to be a Christian, they carry the right Bible to church, they sit uh, in the front row, they sing in the choir, they do all the things visually that you're supposed to do. But when it comes down to taking the Word of God and doing something with it, brother, that's where they have a problem. Because fundamentally, a fool is unteachable. Now, a fool can be proud and arrogant, or he can be stupid and lazy. A fool can be a millionaire, or he can be without a dime to his name. Foolishness knows no barriers in people's life and society. The Bible's filled with fools. Life is filled with fools. Churches are filled with fools. Uh, but they all carry the same brand, and you all can spot them. They, they reject any wisdom or instruction. Had a lady one time... She came up, or, 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 or she came to see me, and she said, I, I want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the church. And I said, go on. She says, no, I'm leaving the church. I said, no, finish what you're saying. You're not getting it all right. She said, well, I don't understand. She said, I'm telling you, I'm leaving the church. And I said, no, finish that statement correctly. She says, well, maybe you better finish it. You're getting a little defensive now. Maybe you better finish it because I don't know what you're talking about. I said, okay, I'll say it for you. Bob, I'm leaving the church again. I said, this is the fourth time you've left. I said, you came way back here. You came for a year. Got your nose bent out of joint about something. Left. Then you came back. Got your nose bent out of joint something. I left. Then you came back about two years later, and you're back here. Oh, this is your church. Here we go. I put you with somebody to work with. You didn't like what they told you, and then you left. And then you came back, and you said, oh, I missed this place. This is what I need. My life's a mess. And yes, it is. And you got all these things here. And now you've been here, what, a year? And now you're upset about something else because somebody told you what you didn't want to hear, and now you're leaving again. That's a fool. That's a fool. I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's hard to believe that any Christian could come to any church and know anything about the Bible and be saved and yet totally reject any instruction that would, would make their life better, see? I mean, but the answer is going to church is not the answer. 
It's you know I've known people that have been in churches thirty years and they and they go every Sunday and their life is absolutely miserable because going to church and marking your attendance isn't what does it. It's taking what you hear, the instruction and the wisdom, and applying it to your life. Fool won't do that. So a fool goes through the cycle. The fool deceives themselves that they actually think there's something wrong with the church that they keep coming back. Well, and I asked her one time, I said, well, the last time you left, we were this, 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 this. Now, I got some news for you. We haven't changed. In fact, we're probably worse now than we were when you left. Problem isn't the church. Problem never the church. The problem is the people that are there. They're fools. And they go for a while, and they get their nose bent out of joint about something, and it's always, as I said, somebody else's fault. I put people to be disciple with people. And they've come to me and said, well, that disciple person is a terrible person. And I'm thinking to myself, that person that you're talking about has discipled at least 40 people in my church. And 30 of them have turned out to be stellar. You come in and you got all these buku problems in your life and you want to tell me that the person who has a track record of turning out stellar Christian young men or young ladies is bad and you're good. It doesn't compute. That's a fool. That's somebody that won't receive instruction. That's somebody who won't take wisdom. They despise it. They talk about it, but then when push comes to shove, you know... I love the Bible until I got to change something about me. That was supposed to be a joke. (laughs) We love the Bible. I love going to church as long as the sermons don't step on my toes, you see. Now, I got news for you. This book is painted black for one reason. It's the old black back 66, and it only does one thing. It steps on toes. People don't like that today. I don't know what to tell you, but fools despise wisdom. You know, you ought to stand up here and preach sometime. I love to watch faces. Most pastors, they don't, they can't. I think a good pastor, a good preacher anyhow, when he makes eye contact with his people, you see some guys, they they watch the clock. They look up. They look around. They don't want to make eye contact with you. I I think that's, I I, I don't think you can preach well. I don't think you communicate well doing that. I think you've got to look right into your little peepers and talk to you. See? We got a vet that I take my dogs to, and nicest vet, a good vet. But this lady's got some kind of problem where she can't look anybody in the face when she talks to them. And I'm standing there talking to her about my dog, and I'm standing here, here's my face, and she's, she's, she's talk, got her head, she's looking over here. She won't look at you. And I keep, when I first went in there, I thought she was, I'd move over, you know. <laughs> and and, 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 I, and, I, and I, she's a great vet, but it just annoys the fire out of me. I, and I know she's got an issue, and I, you know, and I feel sorry for her. And I'm not being critical of her, but I'm saying, when you want to communicate to somebody, you've got to look at them. You've got to see some of your faces when I preach up here. That's good. It's good. There's nothing bad about it. I mean, some of you glow, man. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, if any man love God, the same is known to him. You see, it shows. It doesn't matter what I say, how hard it is, your face has got to glow on it. You, you don't care. You want to hear the truth, even if you've got to change some things in your life. Proverbs 28, 7 says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. That's what our prayer groups do. They're accountability groups, but they help sharpen you, and it shows. Proverbs 16, 15 says, in the light of the king's countenance is life. 
Moses is a great example now. When he was with God, he came down and his face shined. And it's obvious, it shows that some of you were with God. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. And, and there's people who will get upset about that. They don't like the glow. What are you going to do? Put a bag over your head and cut our eyes on it? <laughs> the fact that you have a relationship with God and they don't, you should never feel bad about that. But fools will. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. It shows. But yet Proverbs 25, 23 says, An angry countenance is a backbiting tongue. See, it shows. You ever see somebody who likes to backbite people? They always got an anger issue. And it shows. They always have a problem. They don't ever smile. They're always miserable. Life is always a problem. Uh, you look at a glass of water and it's half full. They look at it and it's half empty. <clears throat> you know, there's nothing good in their life. That, uh, you know, a wise man will receive knowledge and instruction, and a fool won't. Second one, Proverbs 14.9. Bible says, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Now, the Bible says here that a fool will mock at sin. Now, the thing I want you to notice here, and you need to mark this in your Bible, you don't have it already. It's not says that he, he makes a mockery of sin. It says he makes a mock at sin. That's a big difference. How many times I've heard somebody say to me, well, I don't want to be a Christian because if you're a Christian, you can't really have any fun. That's because we spell fun differently. I spell it F-U-N, you spell it S-I-N. See, that's how that works. In the Bible, you find four kinds of laughter. We'll get to it at some point when we get through the book of Proverbs. But one of those laughters is the laughter of sinful merriment. That's the America laughing itself to hell. It happens all the time in the unsaved world, and unfortunately, and many times in the Christian world. They tell dirty jokes. They use God's name in vain at, at playing sports or gambling. or, or on, They listen to it and laugh at Saturday Night Live when they make jokes about something or a late-night talk show. Uh, they make fun of sin. They mock it. They take the filth of this world and try to make it seem okay by their conversation by making a joke out of it and laughing about it. They make fun of hell. They make fun of judgment. They make fun of God's holiness. You see it in the movies. They glamorize it on TV. You read about it in books. You see it in the, in the Christian aspect of it, in this concept of, I mean, who... Who, who, anybody can get around Romans chapter 1 and think gay marriage is okay? I mean, what do you got to do? I mean, who can get around the fact that God orchestrated marriage and ordained marriage and, and, and where we're at today? I mean, they can't even think that 30 years ago it would have been unheard of. But now it's okay. You know the old Pope Pepperoni guy when he was down in Rio de Janeiro? Well, Rio is one of the most filthiest places on this planet. And yet, you might know that right there, and I've been in Rio, and right down there, up there in the Bay of Rio, you know what they got? They got about an 800-foot statue of Christ with his arms outstretched. It is the most filthiest city on this planet. He goes down there and and, 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 and gets up there, and he, he, a couple of weeks ago, he made, the, he made the olive branch to gay and lesbian priests and, and nuns, saying that, that uh, it's coming to the place where this pope is going to make it okay. He was up there, and he talked about how that we ought to be tolerant of, of that lifestyle. He never said a word about pedophile priests. 
But boy, he opened up the arms to all the gay community and said we ought to be more tolerant and allow them to be priests and lay workers and, and, and sisters or brothers or whatever and, and bring them in and be more tolerant to them. I mean, if he's not careful, we're going to have to change his name from Pope to Poperia. <laughs> but you see it in Christianity. It just isn't in things like that. You see it by God's people's indifferent lifestyle. I mean, especially when you realize that God has called us to be holy, 1 Peter 1.16. We're saved, yet we mock God. We mock God. We mock His Son by the way we live. We mock His Son's death on the cross. He died for you and for me. Gave us eternal life that we might serve Him. We take that eternal life and then go right on doing what we want to do. And in that, we mock Him. We take the very death of Christ the agony, the reproach, all the things that he did. And we mock God in the sin of our complacency, in the sin of our laziness, in the sin of our indifference, in the sin of our unselfishness. I told you last week about the message that John R. Rice used to preach, sevenfold sin of, of not being burdened for lost people. And I told you that and went through those things, and I bet you half of you had never even phased. Now let's look at the third one. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. Oh, this is going to be a good one. I was on my way to Ohio. I saw a bumper sticker. It said, make somebody happy today. Mind your own business. <laughs> Bible says it's honorable for a man to cease from strife. You see, that's being smarter than the problem. But it also says a fool will always meddle. And when you meddle, you cause strife. People in, 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 in life, people in churches who just have to know everything about everybody. I call them vacuum cleaner Christians. Who said what to who? What's really going on with so-and-so? Is so-and-so leaving the church? Well, we certainly hope so. I mean, I didn't mean that part. Is so-and-so leaving the church? Who's dating who? I have people come to me on a regular basis and they want my take on any given situation. And I'll tell you, I realize there's church issues that you have to talk about and I realize there's church probably have to talk about. But I want to tell you, 90% of it, when people come to me and they say, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? I simply look at them and say, you know what I think? I don't think that's any of my business. There comes a time, there comes a time when we just need to mind our own business. Proverbs 26, 17 says, he that passes by... Somebody walking by now and meddleth with strife. See something going on and get into it. That belongeth not to him. Not your problem. Not your conversation. Not your talk. It's like one that taketh a dog by the ears. You ever grab a big dog by the ears? <laughs> He'll bite you. Now when you start sticking your nose in somebody else's business, you're going to get bit. I mean, you see somebody like that, put them on your list. Some busybody. Put them on your list. They're a fool. And there'll never be any good edification in it for you. Now, it doesn't mean you'll be not nice to them, but it just means, you know what? You don't want to be part of that. And I understand. I realize that there's times when you have to deal with things and talk about things. Well, the fourth one. Proverbs 10, 18. He that hideth hatred with his lying lips, and he that uttereth slander is a fool. Now, the fourth one is a fool will slander people. Notice it says there in the first part of that verse, he that hideth hatred with lying lips. 
That means somebody will say something to your face. They'll tell you how much they love you. They'll tell you how much you mean to them. And then they'll slander you behind your back. That's exactly what that means. Talk nice to your face, but slam it. And everybody can understand this. There isn't anybody in this room who hasn't been through this. Everybody at some point in your life been slandered for something. That's just the way it goes. Now, let me help you with that. Do you know why people slander you? Do you really understand it? Let me give you a class on Slander 101. Do you know why people slander you other than the fact that they're a fool? Very important, I think, to get this. The real fundamental root for slander is jealousy. That's what it is. Somebody will fear inferior to you in something. So they'll slander you to make themselves feel better. You'll find it with people at work that maybe you're a new guy and you go in and you have a great work ethic and you want to do what's right and you're a hard worker. There'll be somebody that's been there longer than you and they, 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 you can't wonder why they keep saying something to you or behind your back or keep cutting you down to everybody else. And you, you say, what am I doing? And you know what? You could even do what the Bible says and go to that person and it won't change a thing because they're a fool. And the reason why they're slandering you behind their back is because they envy what you are. And when they have to slander you, it, it brings you down a couple notches in their mindset to make themselves look better. That's how it works. They get jealous of what you have, so they slander you. They get jealous in the Bible of what you know. Some of you will grow in the Bible and get a handle on the Bible that you're doing well in the Bible. And you know what? People will look at that and they want that. And because they're a fool and they don't want to do it, the work they got to do that you did, it's easier for them to make themselves feel better by slandering you. How it works. They'll slander your family. Your family grows up loving God, serving God, and you're in a ministry together doing what God wants you to do. There'll be people who have failed in their families that can't do a thing right, and their kids don't come to church. They don't do what's right. They're into drugs. They're into this. They're into that. And they, they, they feel inferior. And the only thing they can do, they can't deal with their problems, so they just slander you and your situation, so they make themselves look better in their own mind. That's how it works. Not hard to figure out. It's the way it always works. You'll get slandered in your job. You'll go do a good job and you'll be where you're working and, and somebody uh, will get threatened by you. And, and you've never said a word to them. You just go there, do your job, and yet they're threatened by you. So you know what they do? They get his buddies around there. He starts chopping you down at the knees. So it works. Now the case study for that, if you ever want to study it, is in Genesis chapter 37, uh, Joseph and his brethren, see, that's the case text for that. We'll get into that into the people ministry. That is the base text for it. You remember briefly the story. They had 12 boys, and, and uh, the daddy, uh, he, he, he really liked Joseph. And so he gave him a coat of many colors. That ticked the other boys off. Now, that coat of many colors is a picture of God blessing somebody here that they're not, he's not blessing over there. And when you read those 11 boys that he had over there, they all were, had some problems. Joseph, greatest type of the Christ in the New Testament, he stayed with the stuff. And his father Jacob gave him a coat of many colors because of what he did. Not because he loved him anymore, but because he was everything that he was supposed to be. And when you be everything to God that you can be, and mostly you can supposed to be, God is going to bless you. And I guarantee you people aren't going to like it. But not. You don't get upset about it. Don't lose any sleep over it. 
You see it all the time. I told you, with people who do nothing for God, they always take cheap shots of those who are doing something for God. Put that down. Just the way it works. We had a guy leave the church here, oh, way, well, way back when. And he left our church because, he was a black guy, and he left our church because of the fact that the church is racist. And I'm a racist. And slandered us all over the place. Now, may I speak to you for a moment? Can we talk? I may be a lot of things. I am a lot of things. But a racist is not one of them. I grew up on the south side of Canton, Ohio, on the other side of the tracks. I blew up with black people. Bob's a racist. I got two boys, one's in Wichita, who call me dad. Right? Yes, sir. Call me dad. Yeah, thank you. I mean, give me a break. I got a black man who's, a, who's our youth pastor who married a white gal who's just one of the sweetest women on the planet. I mean, a memorial, we, 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 we live in Raytown, and our, my neighborhood is all black. Do you see me moving? <laughs> my neighbor across the, right next to me is white, and she looks over and she says, what are we going to do about all these black people coming into our neighborhood? <laughs> I said, I got a phone number of a guy I want to give you. <clears throat> He'll want to talk to you. I said, I ain't going to do anything about him. I said, man, a guy across the street, he's nice. We came back from Ohio. Black lady across the street came out when we went home 15 minutes. She says, hi, Miss Barbara. She says, I knew, we didn't tell her we were gone. She says, I knew you were gone, and I saw your paper, so I just been throwing them up in that old truck up there. <laughs> Memorial Day weekend. I cooked 500 pounds of ribs. You only got 425 pounds of them. You know what the other 75 pound went? All to my black neighbors. And my wife knows this. It was pouring down rain that morning. We had to have it here, remember? Now, I'm the, I had to be the goofiest guy in the world. I wrapped all these ribs up in place. I got a raincoat on. It's coming down cats and dogs. I am running from house. My wife's on the front porch going. <laughs> I am running from house, carrying this big cooler, running from house to house, knocking on the door, saying, I've got you some ribs. I, I cooked these for you. I, I, I mean, everybody down in the whole neighborhood. I have some of the sweetest, dearest people of my friends are black folks. When you're saved, there ain't no color. I mean, I don't know who wrote the song, black or yellow, red and white, they're all precious in the sight, but that's what it is. Where do you get the idea that once we're saved, you're black and I'm white? I mean, I'm using a black and white for the illustration, but you're not black, I'm not white. We're red. We're covered in the blood of Christ. Amen. Crazy. Bob's a racist. Well, I only eat chocolate cake. <laughs> Bob's a racist. I drink my coffee black. People will slander you. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, every week, they're on the website getting their Bible. Every week. Every week, they're getting on that website getting their Bible. So when you get this one, God bless you. I've had people get mad at me and leave and said, I'm not going to that church anymore. And then they call up one of my kids or they call up somebody else and says, would you pick up some books of Bob's over there for me? 
you know what? He that other slander is a fool. Once you understand it doesn't matter, it can become like a little game and you get to play it. Number five. Now I gotta this one's gotta come with a warning. <clears throat> this is gonna be gross. <clears throat> if anybody has a weak stomach or you ate something that was soured this morning, you might want to leave now <clears throat> before you throw up in a person in front of you. Proverbs twenty six eleven. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. A fool like a dog keeps returning and eating his own vomit. Now, I said this is going to be a little gross. But you see how plain the Bible is? Now, this is why sophisticated people don't like the Bible. Who can't get that? But refined people, oh, that's just so gross. They'll be, not probably your crowd, but if I preach this message in most churches, there'd be people going out of there at lunchtime saying, well, he's just so crude. He's just so, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Gentiles are likened to dogs, okay? Now, I like dogs. I got two of the sweetest labs you ever saw in your life. I love them so much, I put them in a condo when I left for a week. <laughs> a dog condo. Whatever happened to putting them in a cage and said, I'll be back in a week. Don't eat all the food or drink all the water. No, no. We put them in a condo. We have love time, $5 a day. <clears throat> we, and then they, I'm not sure. Then there's snuggle time at $3 a day. I'm not sure what all this is. You get, you get frozen treats if you, if you want to pay for them. I mean... Uh, I went back to get my dog. I missed my dogs all week. I called two times wanting to know how they were. I went back. My dog didn't even want to get in the car. <laughs> they had it better where they were. I like dogs. We're a dog family. My mom had dogs. My sister's got dogs. My sister's got, right now she's only got two dogs, but there was a time she had six dogs. But she's got 25 cats. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> she's, she's animal crazy. But we get it honestly. And I, you know, but, but dogs can be gross. Let's, fa- let's face it. Dogs can be gross. Dogs have very, I mean, they, you, you give them some, change their food, you're going to have problems. You, you, you give them the wrong kind of food and you're going to have problems. I had dogs that have finicky stomachs. And, you know, you give, eat too much and the next thing you know, you hear the, and you look around and there's a big pile of stuff. I used to get mad at it, you know, but I don't now because I use Bible principles and everything. I wait 10 minutes, come back, it's gone. <laughs> I might as well tell you this. <laughs> Two bums walking down a railroad track, hadn't eaten for days. One bum looks at the other and says, I'm so hungry, I can't stand it. The other bum says, man, I'm starving to death. One bum says, I'm going to eat the first thing I see. The other bum says, not me, brother, I'm waiting out for a good old hot meal. He says, not me, I'm starving. So they walked on down about a mile and there was a dead possum laying alongside the railroad tracks. Been there for two or three days. I told you it was going to be gross. Did I not warn you? So he starts chowing down on that dead possum, eating that thing, you know, and the other says, he says, he says, I ain't eating that. So they're walking on down around a little bit, about another 45 minutes, and the guy that ate the possum, he starts getting sick. And I mean, he starts getting on the side of the track, he starts throwing up spoiled possum all over the place. And he says, man, I was so dumb, I never should have done that, I am so sick. And the other guy stood back and said, well, I told you, but you know what else? I told you if I waited long enough, I'd get a hot meal. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
you know what? You will be telling that story all day tomorrow. I don't even want to hear it. It'll be on the web. It'll be on your face page, my space, my face, or get out of the place, or whatever it is. You see, but it's your, it's your, it's your sin as a fool that makes you sick. Hey, I've seen guys, I'm, most of you, I was never a drinker. I, I, I never had a beer in my life. I, I just didn't go that way. I was never a drinker. But I know some of you were. And I know some of you have told me, heard your testimony, you've talked to me, that there were times when you were out there on the weekends that you were so drunk and you came back and you just slept by the toilet. I mean, you were so sick, you were so sick, you just threw up and you threw up and you threw up and you threw up and you threw up. But you know what? The next Saturday night, you're right back to it again. See how it works? That's the principle. It's plain. I mean, I would like for it to say regurgitate, but it doesn't. Job 12.7 says, you want to learn about life? Study the beast. They'll teach you. Want to learn about that? Study dogs. Study dogs. The principle is simple. A fool never learns from his sin. He's a Gentile. He's a Gentile dog. And as a dog returns to his vomit, we as Gentiles, unless there's a life-changing thing in our life, we just keep going back to our sin. We don't learn from it. We don't learn from the consequences. We don't learn from the lesson. So we just go right back to it. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, here's an example where you get the Old Testament proverb, but it gets translated into a New Testament principle. It says in Proverbs, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. That is it, 2611, see? The dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed in her wallowing uh, into the mire. Now, there it's put into a New Testament principle, male and female. See, the dog is an unsaved man, but the sow or a pig is an unsaved woman. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a thing where uh, a man keeps going back to his vomit every weekend. And, and, the, and the unsaved woman, the foolish woman, he, she's like a pig. It just waddles in the mire. She gets out of the mire. They clean her off, and she runs right back in it. Now, the proverb that goes along with this is Proverbs 11.22. It says, as a jewel of gold and a swine's snout, so is a fair woman without discretion. And the bottom, what he's saying there is, if it's an unsaved woman, and some of you guys who want to date can't wait to get a wife, and you're looking and not staying within the parameter of being a Christian, this is a good one for you. It's basically saying this, and I know it's growth, but this is the Bible. It's basically saying this. You can put a diamond necklace, you can put a gold earring, you can put, but it's still a pig at the end of the day. And that's what he's saying. And pigs always go back to the mud. You can clean them off, take them to the state fair, put a ribbon on them, put a bow in their hair, call him Oinky or whatever you want to do, and, and put her out there and she'll win first place. And you're standing there with your pig, my first place pig. And when you get back to the farm, first place she heads back to the mud. That's an unsaved woman. That's fools. But this is why I guess, I told you, fools come in both categories, saved and lost. This is why I guess saved people can come to church and get Bible study and then go right back to the drugs, right back to the booze, right back to the unsaved friends and the world in general. They're unteachable. They despise wisdom and instruction. They won't break with the old friends. I mean, they never learn from their mistakes, so they just keep on repeating them all their lives. And then they wonder why their children have problems. They wonder why my children have problems with drugs. Because you had problems with drugs all your life. 
They wonder why they don't, they say, well, my kid is getting into, well, you did all of these things. You, 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 you fell a victim to that thing in Exodus, and that if you don't break that cycle, and there's a way that you break it, that God visited the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. I don't know what to tell you. I'll tell you, life is choices. That's what I'm telling you. Number six, Proverbs 17, 24. Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are to the ends of the earth. Now that one says a fool's eyes are to the ends of the earth. It means a fool saved or lost is never content with what he has. See? Always wants more. Can never get enough. So we become, and that becomes the driving force of their life. Uh, a great verse in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but, God, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's a great verse. Nothing will take the place of God in your life. I mean, you guys get, and there's nothing wrong with it, some of this stuff. You get an expensive car, you get a boat, you get jet skis, you get bigger, better houses, you get more stuff, and the things you think that will make you happy. And there's nothing wrong with those things by themselves as long as they don't become the driving force in your life. But for a fool, they do. Now, I'm going to tell you the second thing that you want to get out of here if you don't get anything else besides the bum joke. Only three things in this life, folks, are going to make you content. And you can waste the rest of your life <clears throat> not listening to me because that's what fools do. And you continue to go on the way you're going. But I'm telling you right now, I don't care what your career is. I don't care what you want to do in life. I don't care who you're married to. I don't care what you're going to try to do in life. There's only three things that's going to bring the contentment that you're looking for. One is doing what God wants you to do. Two is being what God wants you to be. And three is having what God wants you to have. You put those three things in your life, nothing will phase you. You'll get through everything. You'll be everything that God wants you to be. Notice he says, the eyes of a fool. When Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, the devil's attack not only on what God said, but he appealed to her on what she didn't have. And this is what happens to us every day of our lives. Every time you turn on a TV and a commercial comes on, they appeal to what you don't have. Every time you read a magazine in the ad, they appeal to what you don't have. Every time you listen to the radio, they appeal to what you don't have. Every time you go to the store, at the mall, and walk around, you say to yourself, where are you going? I'm going to the mall to see what I don't have. The eyes. Genesis 3, 6 says that when a woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to desire to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now, New Testament in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17 retranslates that over into a principle. And he says there, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Fool and a wise man. See that thing? The lust of the flesh leads to the lust of the eyes, and that leads to the pride of life. And a fool's eyes will always be to the ends of the earth. He'll never have enough no matter what. I have people all the time saying, boy, I wish I'd give any world to win, a, win, a, win the lottery. You know what? You won the lottery, got $20 million, it wouldn't be enough for you. I remember the guy that won the first lottery in Canton, Ohio years ago. It was back in the 70s. He won a million dollars. Three years later, he was broke. 
You know why? Because there was no control. In most of our cases, the problems we have is not about the fact that we need more money. It's the fact that we don't do what's right with money we have. But we can't get to that. Number seven. Proverbs 17.10. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. A fool resents reproof for correction. You see, a wise man understands that with responsibility comes accountability. And a wise man knows and understands and accepts that there are times that we all need reproof in our lives. It starts with the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for one doctrine, but number two is reproof. You see, the first thing the Bible was given to you and me for after it was to be truth was to straighten us out on some things. And I, I, I love you all, and you're all, to me, for the most part, you're all great people, and I couldn't do this without you. But you know as well as I do, we all need straightening out from time to time. Amen. We all need attitude adjustments. We all get our nose bent on a joint about little things sometimes that we don't need to. Amen. We all do that. Amen. We all do that. And so that's just, you know, it's, 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 it says for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, then instruction in righteousness. Well, I'll, I'll say this, and it's, I, it's 100% on the money as far as I'm concerned. The folks in this church who really get the job done are the ones that you can correct, and they don't ever get their nose bent out of joint or get mad or leave the church or carry a grudge or get a bad spirit or get bitter. Uh, those kind of people are fools. I, when I grew up with my father and Lord, Mel Sabaka, he did everything in my life for me. And I recognized who God had put in my life and what he did. And in my mind, I never told him this, but in my mind, I always took the position that because God put that man in my life, because I knew he was the Apostle Paul in my life, and at that point in my life, he was the man that probably was closer to God than any of the men ever met in my life. I submitted myself in my mindset, never told him this, but my attitude was, you know what? That man can say anything he wants to say to me, however he wants to say it. I'm never going to take it wrong. I'm never going to take it bad. At the end of the day, that man loves me, and he's got my best interest at heart. And he said some things. Well, I was preaching one time someplace with 800 people there. And I got up there, and I was going to town. One of my first times I ever preached. And I'm up there, you know, and I'm really wailing on it, you know. And I'm getting a little bit too big for my britches. I know. I mean, I look back now, and know. Back then, I thought, look at me. And I quoted a verse out of Genesis, and I quoted it wrong. And I'm up there, 800 people, man, and I'm just going. Look, I'm the preacher up here. And right out of that thing, man, I said, uh, uh, the Bible says that you work by the, uh, by the sweat of your brow. And, boy, I no more got that word out. I thought of my next point, and I heard this big booming voice saying, book, chapter, verse. And it was Mel. And 800 people one time looked at him, then looked at me. And I said, well, Genesis 3, and I put it back there, and it says, sweat of your brow, a sweat of your face. I said, brow. And I read it, and I read it, quoted it wrong. He looked up at me and said, son, if you're going to preach the word of God, you preach it correctly. Now, what would you do if you were down to mission and I did that to you? <laughs> well, some of you would fall apart like a broken accordion, man. You'd never come back to church. You'd be on Facebook, MySpace, whatever you're wherever your place is, and you'll be just saying, well, Bob is so mean, he's so that, he's so that, that church is this, or that church is that, he's that, 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 that. You know what? You're a fool. You're a fool. You're a fool. Put them on your list. Oh, give me a piece of paper. I'm making me a list right now. No, I'm kidding. 
You see, the reproof is for your betterment, not for your demise, but you're a fool. There's some people you can't correct in anything. They're never wrong. There are some people that when you do correct them, they don't say anything and you can tell by their countenance right away. I just caused the problem. I mean, a fool resents proof and correction. And you know, you get the same issue with God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11 says, And he had forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. He says, My sons, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. God rebukes us. He chastens, chastens us. He, he does it. And he tells us, don't, don't faint. Don't faint. Don't despise. He says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth you with, with sons. And what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Then what a great verse. Verse 11. For now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. It doesn't. But grievous. It certainly does. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. You see, it's for your good. It's not for your hurt. I've had people all the time, I don't say this. I I don't say it at all. But I think a lot of things I don't say. I have people come to me and they say, Bob, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with my kids. I can't, my kids just won't listen to me. And I say, well, you know what? There's a child book back there, I guess, or whatever. Inside I'm thinking, why, why would your kids listen to you? You haven't listened to anything I've said in the last five years. That third and fourth generation thing. You can't listen to the pastor or the pre- not listen to the preaching and apply it or the Bible and its principle and do something with it and then scratch your head and say, I wonder why my kids aren't listening to me. It's a chain of command of authority. It starts with you and then transfers down to them. When they hear what the preacher preaches and you don't do it, then they hear what you say and then they don't do it. How hard is that? Your bad attitude about reproof will get passed right on to them to the third and fourth generation. Well, the last one. I like to go back and preach on the vomit one for a while, but we can't. Proverbs 28, 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely shall be delivered. Now the last one is the fact that a fool will trust in his own heart. You see this all the time. I'll give you a, a great verse. And I probably all of you have this one because most of you uh, would have this verse down. But to me, it's my favorite verse. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You see, a wise man who is wise will clearly walk in the clear principles of the wisdom of the Word of God. And you see Christians, you see churches today that fall into the area of trusting in their own heart. They don't have the Bible, they don't believe the Bible, or they have the Bible, they, 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 they want to they come up with their own concepts. That's what's going on today. You know, Christianity and churches and pastors today are simply trying to reinvent the wheel. And there is no reinventing the process that God gave you in building a church. There just isn't. And everybody wants to have something new. Everybody wants to be the one that coined this. And at the end of the day, brother, the only thing that works is the thing that's been working for the last 2,000 years. But you see it. You see Christians who trust in themselves. You see people in the world who trust in themselves. They don't have a Bible. 
Or if they do have a Bible, they don't have a teacher or a preacher that teaches the Word of God. So they get caught up in a trap of following themselves, or they follow somebody else. They get their advice out of this or that. They go around and ask 30 people what they should do about one situation, and then they pull it. And the one that sounds the best to them, that's what they do. They get self-deluded, and they get the wrong goals in life. They get deceived and self-deceived. They self-hypnotize themselves that the problem isn't as bad as it really is. They mesmerize themselves, and then they justify themselves. They trust in their feelings. They trust in their intuitions. They trust in their impulses. They trust in their motives. They trust in their homespun remedies. They trust in their goals. They trust in their ideas. They trust even in their superstitions instead of simply trusting God and his principles. They will trust their own heart. They will trust their own thoughts. They'll put stock in their own abilities or their own talents. And many times they trust in their own cleverness to get them through. But when a man trusts his own heart instead of God's word, he's a fool. Now, he's a fool for three things. And these are the last three things I'm going to give you today, but he's a fool for three things. There's, here's three reasons why you never trust your heart. That Bible says clearly three things about our heart. Number one, you don't trust your heart because Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Number two, Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. You don't trust your heart because the Bible says the imaginative man, imagination of man's heart can be only evil continually. And you don't trust your heart because Mark chapter 7, verse 21 gives you 13 abominations that come out of your heart. Now, this is why we as Christians need to get God's heart, the Word of God. This is why we need a new heart. When we talk about getting a new heart the day we got saved, we're not talking about God replacing this three-pound pump you got in here. We're talking about God giving you a book now that has principles in it that will show you God's thinking process about everything on this planet. And when you make that book your heart, you've got a new heart. You can, have, you can get saved all day long and not get in that book and do it, and you'll never get a new heart. You'll just operate as a Christian with the old one, and we know where that leads. That's why I push and push and push and, 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 and keep it before you about getting that book, getting those principles, getting those things down. That's why a man needs to get a new heart, God's heart. And that heart is based on God's word and God's principles, and that's the one he follows, and that's the one that makes us wise. Now, this is our first of many comparisons in the book of Proverbs. I told you, you you've already seen in the wise man principles I've given you, in the foolish principles, how they compare back and forth. Oh, we're going to have a great time with the comparisons here. And now we know that a wise man, and we know what a fool is. Uh, key to everything in life is based on those two things. Make your list. Think about it. Make your list. Don't show it to anybody. It's your own personal list. But I'm going to tell you, everything in your life of what you're going to do, where you're going to go, and what you're going to try to accomplish, if it's going to turn out good for God, is going to come down to those things right there. You're going to either put a wise man in your life or wise people in your life and follow that, or you're going to put fools and negative people in your life and you're going to follow them. Iron sharpeneth iron, but lead maketh dead. And you're going to follow one or the other. It's just that simple. Your life will simply be who you hang out with and who you take counsel from. One last time, Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, 
but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And your question is today, where are you at with that? And the other question you want to ask, where do you want to get with that? You know, I tell people all the time, and I have people come over, and I spend a lot of time with them, and many of them, when they come into church, you know, a lot of people come into church, and they don't really have any issues. They just want to learn the Bible. They want to get to some place where they're not beat up all the time, and they can get all you want in the Bible and have the freedom to be who you are and what you want to do and, uh, and all that. And some people just enjoy that. Some people, some people just want to get discipled and get in and get involved. They're looking for some place to serve God, raise their family, where their kids got everything that they want. I understand that. But you know as well as I do that in every church, you've got people coming in that's got serious issues. And uh, they got problems. And I, I spend a lot of time with people like that, and I, I try to do the best I can to help them. But I also understand, as I've said before, you know, uh, uh, they have to decide what they want to do. But I always tell them this. I, you know, I'll sit down in any given counseling scenario and somebody will lay out some, some the, the laundry list of all the problems that they're dealing with and where they've come from and all the things. And sometimes I say it's, it's quite lengthy and they've, they've, it's obvious to see why their life is the where they're at. And, you know, and I don't really think that they're looking for me to, in one hour of a counseling session, uh, fix all of their problems, because it's impossible you can't. And I don't ever lead them or elude them to think that we can. But I do tell them this. I tell them, you know what, I can't fix all of this today. But I'm going to tell you what I can do that will fix this in time. You can't go back and undo everything that you did. You can't fix the problems right now that you're having in your marriage or with your kids. There's too much water under the bridge. Maybe in time you can, but right now you can't. So let's don't focus on the things that we can't fix. But let's do focus on the one thing that we can do today. And if we do this today, I guarantee you, in time we'll fix everything else. I can't go back and fix your marriage right now. I can't get your wife to believe or your husband to believe that you really want to do right. I can't talk your kids into coming back to church. I can't do this. I can't do that. But let me tell you what you can do right now, today, without anything else. And if you start this and you let us help you with this, this is where we'll go. The thing you can do right now, immediately. I can't go back and fix everything else. But right now, the one thing you can do immediately is to make it in your heart and your mind, you're going to stop making bad choices. Start with that. Go out of here saying, I'm not going to make any more bad choices because honestly, every problem you've got right now that we talked about goes back to that issue. You made a bad choice. You hung out with the wrong people. You got the wrong counsel. You got the wrong advice. Or you just simply wanted to do it your way. And that's what puts you in the mess you're in. We can go back in time and fix all that, but not tonight. But what we can do, and it really is the pathway to getting all of your life put in order, is to simply stop making bad choices in life. And then I try to help them do that. That's what this church is about. That's what our discipleship is about. That's what the people in the people ministry is about. That's what you're doing with people down there at Turnaround or at Restart or the people at Children's Mercy last night. That's what God does. We, 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 don't, we don't go out and, and design. We just put ourselves in a place for God to use us. We don't walk out and say, hey, we're all Baptist, Baptist church. You come here. We know that we got to go where they're at. 
We got to give them a cold drink of water or a hot dog to eat. We got to go down there and bring food because they're worried about their children in the hospital. We put ourselves in a place of being used of God at a time when people need and then let the Holy Spirit of God reach down through that and do something in their life. And then at that point, when they come in and they spill their guts and you see all of the mistakes that they made, you don't jump in with both feet. You simply say, hey, look, here's what we'll do. Let's just start making the right choices from this point on. That will clear up 75% of it and the rest of it, we'll just deal with it as we have to. But the road out, the pathway out of your problems is to simply start by coming to the problem, coming to the place where you start making bad choices right now. And let me help you. Let our people help you. But you need to take the first step. I can't do it for you. I have to do my own life. I have to do my own decision-making process, and so do you. I can't make your decisions in life any more than you can live on my spirituality on Sunday morning the rest of your life. There has to come a point where you have to open that book and get in it and become the man or the woman God wants you to be. I could just help you and lead you and guide you. So the book of Proverbs now we're set. Wise man, foolish man. Now every place we go in this, we're going to use that. And you got your list now, I hope. You should. Keep them to yourself. Don't show anybody, but put yourself with wise men. Take that, that Proverbs 13, 20. Walk it with the wise and leave the companions of the fools out of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus.